You're listening to the best of the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Tell me that's not a pretty amazing dynamic. Your guide on the side. Just bring the honesty and the integrity to the game. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. On BYU Radio. BYU Radio. It's so easy to just think, yeah, that's just bad. It's just bad. No, it's science. It's advancement. It's progress. Well, yeah, but they're just destroying the earth. I'd love to get somebody that just is against fracking to to sit down with a guy like Dr. Morris and explain why. Well, there's earthquakes. Okay, do, why are the earthquakes happening? Because you're pumping water into the ground. Okay, explain it. So we have this tendency to have an opinion without a lot of information. And to have an opinion is great, I guess, but to have no information, you know, it's kind of a pretty empty opinion. So one of the things we might want to do is formulate your opinion with information and with education and not just information and education that comes from the one side that you love, the pro-oil or the anti-oil people, the environmentalists, but just learn. Did you know that you can drill horizontally? And did you know you can drill horizontally for a mile and a half? Do you remember when those guys were caught in the Chilean mine? They were drilling, you know, diagonally. That is pretty cool. You can drill at any angle. That's great. Someday that'll pay off when you're stuck in a mine, right? Anyway, let's just get informed. That's one of the big reasons we want to do the show is just give you more information. You can always, you know hate fracking, or you can also just understand that that fracking wasn't just destroying Mother Earth. It was also employing a lot of people, and it was finally creating security for some some families that didn't have it. Well, yeah, but it was also making a bunch of oil companies rich. Sure, okay, sure. And can we do it better? Absolutely. But it's there's there's this this give and take as we just learned between the costs and and you know the benefit and sometimes it costs money to have oil and the mere fact that in the United States we're sitting on so much oil shell oil shell that for years we have never been able to access the oil in the shell yet we're sitting on so much of it and yet we're so dependent on fuel historically from other places, even to the point that wars were maybe started. You know, I guess a little fracking and learning about it, it's helpful. It's probably, we were probably fairly blessed to all have landed on this country with so much oil and shell. Doesn't mean we need to exploit the earth. And it doesn't mean we need to hate the companies that are providing it for us. Make sense? It just seems like a more moderate view. You're listening to the best of the Matt Townsend Show. If we are going to take on the idea that 70% of the workforce in the United States is disengaged, there's obviously something that uh, is not working right, right? So we have to figure out what that is. And I guess I could just go in and coach a company or work with a company to figure out what's going on with their people. Or we could just, on the radio, try to help you figure out what's going on with you. What is it that's driving you or not driving you? 
And obviously, in Nikki's case, where she talks her boss from a 40-hour work week down to a 32-hour work week, took a little pay cut. But in the end, I think what she also did is she ended up basically – she knew what she was into. She knew what her driver was. She knew what moved her and what pushed her along. And I worry that many of us don't have a clue. We don't have a clue what our drivers are. So here's a little activity that I want you to – to just kind of walk through with you and I want you to think about. Think of a situation when you feel that you are at your very, very best. Think of like a scenario where you are, you have got your game on and you're nailing it, right? So as you think about it, who are the people that you're with in that situation? Are the people – is it kind of people-centric where it's the people you're with that make it so valuable and incredible? Or what are you doing in the situation? Are you at work? Are you performing a leadership function? Are you – you know, what are you doing? And what emotions are you feeling as you are doing this activity? It's a very basic thing. What may, where are you at your very best? Well, I'm in front of the TV watching myself some Matlock and eating some Cheetos. Okay. All right. Let's dig a little deeper then. Because <laughs> if that is your ultimate goal is just to get away from work and life so you can get to TV to watch your Netflix binge, um, then we might be missing something. Right, We might be basically missing what your driver is. Maybe your driver is to no longer be in the stressful workplace. But there's a reason why when people retire, their likelihood of uh, living longer starts to decrease and their ability to be healthier even decreases. We would think just being free from work would make us healthier, but that's not always the case. So we've got to figure out what the drivers are. Are the drivers the people around you? Are the drivers your opportunity to be creative and imaginative and inventive? Is it just being more optimistic? Sometimes work might be a difficult place for you because the people around you aren't optimistic. It's so doom and gloom, so negative. Maybe one of your drivers is to have just more playfulness or have a, a more spiritual connection to something and you're not getting that at work. So you've got to figure out what it is that moves you. And as you look through the people that you're with and the activities you're doing, what are what's specific about the activities? What drives that activity to be so valuable to you? What is it that you are doing in that activity? Are you more creative? Are you more in a leadership role? Are you more um, you know, with people and engaging other people? Because whatever you're doing, it's telling something about you, right? It's telling you that I need to go be – I need to go be with people more. And I sit too much in my cubicle and this job is great, but it's not – I'm not where I need to be. Because if we can discern what the drivers are, for example, about being with people, then we could actually take what you do every day and start to say, how can I now engage more people at my work? It might simply be you're in a rut. You're in a habit of not talking to people in your office because, you know, you move from sales to customer support and you spend so much time on the phone talking to people that ugh, are angry that you never get to talk to the people around you. 
that might be why it's valuable to cut eight hours out of your workday so you don't have to do that as much. Or you've got to figure out a way to engage people. Maybe start taking lunches with the people around you. Um, once you kind of know the people driver and the the uh, action or the pattern driver. For example, I'm noticing and it took a year and a half probably to get used to it. But the early schedule of the show is just hard for me. I don't think I don't think our creator wants us up this early to do this show. Creator as in Don Schlein or God? Yeah, Don Schlein. Okay. No, the real creator. And he doesn't want us up this early. Don wants us up. But it's hard it's a hard thing for me. And but then I thought, well, what did I used to do during this time? And it was just sleeping. <laughs> Wasted time. But man, it allows me to do what I love to do and it allows me to be with people that are great and it allows me to engage my emotions and my feelings in a healthier way. So it's kind of worth it, right? It's worth it. But in the end, that's a decision every one of us needs to make. What drives you? Do you feel like you're using your best gifts? How do you want to be remembered? These are all questions that you could be asking yourself. At your funeral... What would you want everyone to say about you and how you worked? What do you want your kids to say about what you contributed to in your professional life? I remember hearing at my grandfather's funeral what a great man he was. He built a company, but also how many lives he helped, how many people, how many families he took care of, of his employees that had had problems or, you know, this was back before the day where everyone was insured and in a mining company. What do you want your family to say about you and how you worked and how you changed lives? These are all questions that can help you get deeper into what drives you and what motivates you. Just go start uncovering it and see what it teaches you. And then let's see if we can't start adapting our life a little bit more to it. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today, uh, we are talking about your children and how to, you know, get them the skills, the tools, the information they need to grow a healthier, happier life, a healthier, happier mind. And uh, joining us on the phone is Ellen Galinsky. And uh, Ellen is the author of the book, Mind in the Making, the Seven Essential Skills Life uh, uh, Every Child Needs, um, Life Skills Every Child Needs. Ellen is also uh, the author of other books and, and other resources and tools to help us as parents, folks. We need as much information as we can to make it through this crazy thing we call life. Ellen, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. It really is. Uh, you, you have more than 100 books that, that can help us and guide us as parents. Walk us through this new one, uh, Mind in the Making. Um, and again, there's a website, mindinthemaking.org. What, when you, we are really forming the mind of our child, and that's the mind they're going to need to use through the rest of their life. Um, exactly right. Children are born with all of the neurons, more or less, that they need in life. But what they don't have are the connections among those neurons. And it's those connections 
that um, shape who who we are and whom whom we become. Um, there have has been for a long time nature nurture kind of debate, but it's 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 irrelevant because um, nature writes on. Um, I mean, nurture writes on the nature that we're born with. So right. our experiences affect whom we become, and the brain is built uh, from the bottom up. So the very early experiences are powerful, but it's never too late. Thank heavens, huh? <laughs> yes, thank heavens. <laughs> and so really, <laughs> when, when, you, when you say uh, the kind of these, the, the neurons or the pathways, I mean, we're, these end up becoming, I guess, what we would call like a habit. It's a pattern, right? Yes, um, it, it absolutely is. The way we see the world, the way we expect other adults or children to act toward us, what we learn about the world, all of that um, has its earliest foundations in the first five years of life. But I'm writing a book on teenagers and executive function skills now, so that's a, also a period of dramatic uh, growth and change. Do, so do, again, cause, cause, I, I cause think kids we're going to learn more about adults and, yeah. um, and these skills, so... Again, it's never too late. Right. Because the kids don't have, I mean, developmentally, they're growing through stages. And so you can't expect a certain way of thinking from a 5-year-old that you could a 10-year-old or a 12, 15-year-old, let alone up to a 25-year-old. We've had other researchers on that say this process doesn't, I guess, your brain doesn't even fully mature in this process till 25. Is that accurate? Um, In the 20s. But um, I'm, you know, one of these days I'm going to start looking at adult uh, brain development, uh, because I think that there, you know, as as our society ages, we're going to pay a lot more attention to that. What I, I started out on, as, as I do with all, all of my research, on a personal um, quest, an intellectual journey, <clears throat> um, where I wanted to answer the question, um, well, why are so many children turned off to learning? I was doing a study of older kids um, and looking at how they felt about learning, and, and they were pretty turned off. They saw learning as mainly something that you did to get a job, um, you know, to graduate from your class, to get a job, to be able to earn money so that you wouldn't be a bum on the street. And that intrinsic joy, power, um, connection that we have to learning, because learning is a survival skill in all of us, um, seemed to have dimmed. And and I was I began to and studies of school engagement show the same thing that most kids go to school because it's the law or to see their friends and and uh, you know less than forty percent of them say that they go to school to learn. So we're doing something in our society that turns off turns off that engagement and learning. And yet I know from the work we do with businesses that engagement is the most powerful predictor of uh, productivity. So what are we doing as a society? That became my question starting in two thousand. I didn't end up, uh, I didn't begin t- by thinking that I would find there, that there are these skills that, as you say, begin to emerge in development, and that if these skills are promoted, that we, we can um, thrive now, not just, not, not just when we're 40, not just when we're 60, but thrive now um, as well as um, in the future. So that totally turned me around. I hadn't ex- I had expected to make... Um, a, a television show where I was sharing some of the best research. And when I began to see the importance of executive function skills, um, then I went, whoa, this is a book, and this mm. is so much more than a book. And so for now, the last 16 years, I've devoted um, a lot of my time to 
um, making this research available for free and and online and and in many many different ways. And the executive function skills, as as I get it, I guess, are tend to be in the kind of the the more evolved brain, the the prefrontal cortex brain, yeah. right? Yeah, they they tend to take place in the prefrontal brain, but the brain is a network, so it. You know, um, I remember in the 92 election how we said it's the economy, stupid. Right. Um, I went to a, con- a neuroscience conference uh, last year in, in the Netherlands. At the end of the conference, someone wrote on the board, it's network, stupid. <laughs> so <laughs> It's a network. Um, yeah. It, the brain works um, as a system, not just as one part. So we tend to, uh, you know, here, here's an example of the repercussions of that. We tend to separate out social, emotional, and cognitive development. But that's not actually the way the brain works. You can have the social emotional parts of the brain more involved, but the cognitive is involved right. too. So it's, you know, some of our assumptions about the brain are, are not accurate. Yeah, because it's, it's working as a whole and we break it into its silly pieces. Right. Even or it's important pieces, but it's still, right. yeah, it's, it's kind of cortex, which is the last part of the brain to develop has been called the orchestra or the air traffic controller of the brain that pulls together the various parts of our brain, our social, emotional, behavioral, cognitive capacities so that we can achieve goals. And uh, executive functions, um, although it's kind of an off-putting word, I didn't like it at first. Yeah. Um, I'm used to it now, but in the beginning I thought, oh, maybe I should come up with a different word. Um, but that's what it's called, so I stayed with it. Um, these, these are things like um, being able to uh, be flexible, that is, not just to react to what's happening, but to be able to change in regard to changing situations. It's called cognitive flexibility. Um, they're working memory, that is, being able to hold the information that you need in your mind so that you can use it, which is why the best tests tap what children, um, how children use their knowledge, not just whether they can recite it. And then inhibitory control or self-control, which means that we don't go on automatic, but we do what we need to do to achieve a, a goal. So executive functions are always goal-directed, which is why they're so important. It's how we set and keep goals. And then what I did in this, um, in the time between discovering this and, and then writing Mind in the Making was to look at the skills that draw on these three core capacities and... Um, and then also promote them. So I came up with a list of skills um, through through research, evidence-based skills that that um, that do just that. But they're, they're they're normal things like focus and self-control or perspective taking, being able to understand how someone else thinks and feels. Yeah, um, things I mean, like that. In a way, too, as I as I look at it, a lot of it is is um, emotional intelligence. Yeah. And the ability to to um, engage others and and foster relationships, but it's it really are they're very basic skills, as you say, um, that I guess allay those other issues. Um, talk about some of them: focus and self control. Now, are these things that you can teach children Absolutely. at any age, or do you have to mm-hmm. wait till they're to a certain age? No, no, no. You can teach them that they're the precursors of of executive function skills. Um, and um, take take focus and self control. You, you you come home, um, you know. After you have a baby, you have a baby who gets fussy and gets out of control. How do you teach that child to calm himself or herself down? When you're, most of us watch what the child does and then build on it. Yeah. So if 
turning on light switches on and off, um, you know, distracts your child who's, you know, when your child is having a fit, um, you know, we'll do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's go and there. In order to help your our child calm down or if rubbing our child or singing to our child or um, or realizing that, that our child is hungry or tired, we're teaching that basic skill of self-control just in in not our calming the baby down, but helping the baby learn to calm himself or herself down. Yeah. You know, it's isn't it interesting? I, I like how you think about this because we could just sit there and say, oh, I've got to stop that child from doing whatever. But that's just one example of a lack of maybe focus and self-control. You're, t- exactly you're right. basically teaching the, the skill set they need is focus and self-control. Right. And there's 100 examples of it in the child's life. Exactly. Every day, um, all of the time. And um, 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 in, in the, the, the thing that's wonderful about exec- these skills that are based on executive functions is that they can be taught that they're very malleable. And when they are promoted, um, the kids do better. And, and what we've done is to develop a training program that we're out in about, you know, 16 parts of the country with now. Hmm. Where we um, where we teach them to adults first, because we think that when we learn them, and yeah. so this is the the lifelong learning. When we learn these skills, when we learn how to manage ourselves, we're better able to teach our kids how to manage themselves. And I'll I'll give you an example from my three year old grandson. Um, he you know he is you know like a little you know zoomer. If he sees something, he wants right. It he wants it. And he goes fast, and and uh, so we had to teach him ways to uh, when there might be danger that he had to stop. So it's freeze or red light, green light, huh. and just like um, the game. And he knows, yeah, it's a game. So if we say freeze, we don't say it unless it's really important. Um, then he knows to freeze, and and so he's learned. He's learning it. You know, yeah, he's learned the self control. And so there are a million. That's just from yesterday. Yeah, that's... But there are a million things that that we do all the time with little kids and big kids and ourselves to learn to delay gratification to pursue the goals that we think are most important. It's huge, man. And it's it's needed for all, parent and child. We'll take a break. We're speaking with Ellen Galinsky from uh, the the website mindinthemaking.org and the book Mind in the Making. Uh, excellent resources, I think, for all of us. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion, learning some other tools um, that are necessary to, to train up our children, our grandchildren, to, to let them have, at least have a shot at this world by possessing some of the higher skills of life. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, uh, joined on the phone by Ellen Galinsky. She's president and co-founder of Families at Work Institute, which you can find at familiesandwork.org. She helped establish the uh, field of work and family life during the time when she was at Bank Street College of Education, where she was on faculty for 25 years. Her more than 100 books and reports include the best-selling Mind in the Making, The Seven Essential Life Skills Every Child Needs, which is what we're talking about today. Ellen, thank you again so much for being with us today. 
Thank you, Matt. And I, I actually wanted to say that Mind in the Making is now a program of the Bezos Family Foundation. Okay, so, great. Um, take a look at the Bezos Family Foundation, particularly for your listeners who want free resources there. Yeah. Um, we've got a wonderful app called Vroom as a part of the Bezos Family Foundation. Like Bezos, like Jeff Bezos? As in, yes. As in <laughs> Jeff the foundation Bezos. started by his parents. Oh, that's awesome. How great. Uh-huh. So Bezos Family Foundation? B-E-Z-O-S, Family okay. Foundation. Uh, excellent. Um, but you can find it also through Mind in the Making. You bet. Um, the other thing that I wanted to say from our previous conversation, because I think you made it a critically important point, and I want to underline it, yeah. which is that our approach is instead of seeing kids' behavior as bad behavior, um, yes, it is challenging, <laughs> not sure. trying that, but um, it's um, opportunities rather than just controlling their mm. bad behavior. Um, the way we're we're approaching this is um, there are these these challenging situations offer us opportunities to to promote life skills. That's it, it right? It's not, and it, how you respond to it will determine probably what you'll get out of it. If you see it as oh, there they go again, then yeah, uh, annoying me, and I'm going crazy. Right. But, <laughs> That's different than saying, oh my gosh, here's an opportunity to teach my grandson not to run into the street. Right. And and you've you've brought up um, uh, focus and self-control as one of them. Another one that I think is so valuable for kids is perspective taking. Talk mm-hmm. talk about that. I, I did a lot of that work on my um, dissertation for uh, my workshops and stuff. But talk about perspective taking and, and how. what are some skills or tools we teach around that? Perspective taking is understanding what you think and feel and what someone else thinks and feel. So it is like emotional intelligence if you include the intelligence part. Yeah. It's understanding the thinking of someone else, um, what researchers call theory of mind, that is understanding what that person may have in his or her mind, um, as well as um, empathy, under, you know, feeling what they feel. Um, the way that, and it's very important in um, in helping children do well in school if they understand what their teachers expect, if they understand what their what the other kids expect. Um, that makes a difference. It's very important in literacy if you can read a story and understand the character in that story. Um, that is a big leg up in in uh, reading comprehension. Yeah. And then it's very important, interestingly enough, in conflict um, resolution. Uh, there were years of research on kids who fought with other kids at school and, um, and the efforts to try to solve it by teaching problem solving. And they were moderately successful, but not as successful as one might think. Um, and then the researchers, this is led by Larry Aber at NYU and others, uh, found a missing ingredient, which is what I love about research. It's yeah. interesting, um, which is that the kids most likely to fight with each other were the kids who automatically jumped to conclusions about the other person. They had what the researchers call in, in typical research language a hostile attribution bias, which means that they assumed the worst. They assumed that someone else was out to get them. And their life experience may have been that way. But teaching them another way of thinking that is really stepping back and thinking about what is this other person trying to do um, really makes a difference. So what they did in the experiment, one of their experiments, is to take literacy, take books, and help to teach the skill of perspective taking. So when you're reading a story with kids, um, kindergarten, preschool, first grade, even three-year-olds, ask them, what do you think that character is doing? Um, why do you think that that, you know, um, 
uh, Sally wants to find, you know, where, where Spot. But why do you think that Sally the dog wants to find Spot? Mm. Um, and and have them think about the, the thoughts and feelings of another person. Or why do you think that character acted that way? And so one of the things, the free resources we've developed is a series of book tips. Uh, we picked a library of almost 100 books, huh. and we um, the, all of which teach these um, seven essential skills. And we uh, have free book tips that you can download, and they've been downloaded close to a half a million times. Um, they're in Spanish and in English that talk about how to take these children's books, and they're everyday children's books, um, some new, but most of the ones that are very familiar, um, like Goodnight Moon and things like that, um, um, or The Little Engine That Could. And they help uh, families or teachers know how to read these books in ways that also promote this skill. Wow, you know what? Powerful, because we we, we have so many parents reading with kids, and it really, I mean, I guess it would help in comprehension and ability to read and and their vocabulary, except if you could take the experience a little deeper and, and build these other skills simultaneously, that's power. Yeah, and the other thing that we have, it's called Prescriptions for Learning, but we took, <clears throat> um, again, uh, almost 100 of the most frequently ask the questions that parents ask teachers or, or, or pediatricians, um, and um, and we did that by looking at the kind of questions that pediatricians report being asked and the kind of questions that parents ask on websites. And again, we take the same approach, which is we bring research to bear. This is not our opinion. Um, and we um, show, you know, five, six ways that you can take this problem. My kid is a picky eater. My kids are fighting with each other in the car, um, whatever the, you know, the situation is, and and turn it into uh, an opportunity to promote these uh, life skills. So we're trying to translate, or we are, we're not just trying, we're, we're translating this research into everyday ways that all of us, families, grandparents, teachers, um, pediatricians, can use. In fact, um, in a project we're doing with Mount Sinai, they're building these tips, these prescriptions for learning, into well-child visits so that the pediatrician will help the, the family um, deal with this problem at the age when this problem is likely to emerge. Right. Is, uh, is this... I guess it's being received, well-received, right? Because as I look at how many people are involved in my children's lives, it's, uh, it's, it would seem hard to try to educate every one of them on, some, on these techniques. How, how do you recommend that we go about you know, talking to our, our kids' teachers if they, if they have not uh, kind of experienced this or their, their grandparents when, when they're visiting? Uh, well, um, go on to mindinthemaking.org, and you will find the book tips. You will find prescriptions for learning. And then if you go to um, the website called Vroom, bo- both of us are programs of the Bezos Family Foundation. Yeah. If you go to the website called Vroom, and you have, if you have a child birth through five, um, you can download an app that is it's called Vroom. And, um, and every day, uh, mine is sitting right here, um, you know, you put in your child's age or your children's age, and every day you'll get a tip um, from, uh, from uh, you know, like the, from the us, room uh, site, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and then if, you know, if you're in the grocery store and your kid is driving you crazy, you know, you can go on the app and look at grocery store. And these are 
things they don't ask you to spend more time with your kids because most of us are really pressed for time and they don't ask us to spend any more money um and they're written at a third to fifth grade reading level um but they they just take the everyday moments that we have with children and and uh turn them into opportunities for all of us to be brain builders hmm. that's great it's fun i mean, I mean it is fun. they're all meant to be fun yeah and and really parenting it that should be fun Right? Yeah. I mean, it's, and then they promote not only content areas like math and STEM sciences and literacy, but they also, uh, all of them promote um, a back-and-forth conversation because that's the way kids learn, by going back and forth with you, not just by being told information. <laughs> and they promote executive function skills. So you take my game with my son, grandson yesterday about, you know, not running into the street or running across we were at a party running you know across the room following a dog um and uh, in a place where he could fall um the um you know you can play uh, red light green light which is perfect for teaching executive function skills if you think about it um or simon says is another thing that you can do um yeah this so um so all of those things are things that you can do in the everyday moments that you have with your child. Give us, uh, give us one more thing. I call it the one thing. We just have a couple minutes left. But what would you say as a parent is, is of, of, the, of the seven areas you talk about, focus and self-control, communicating, making connections, perspective taking, uh, critical thinking, taking on challenges, self-directed, engaged learning, what would you say – is is kind of like the the one thing that is the the place we should all start today. Well, I mean, I you know, it's like if I had seven children, I couldn't pick my favorite. Yeah. But, uh, because they all build on each other, right? Um, so I think that they're all important, and there are opportunities all day long for promoting all of them. And you don't have to think about them because, again, if you have a little child and you and you um, download our app, Join Vroom. Um, then you'll, you know, they just come to you and then there's a brainy background that will say why you're doing what you're doing. Um, so they'll talk about that you're teaching, making connections, or they'll talk about your teaching, taking on challenges. Um, if if I had to pick one, it would be to help families. I, I guess I'll pick two. Um, it, it would be to help kids learn how to try hard things. Yeah. Um, taking on challenges. Taking on challenges isn't just coping with the bad things that happen. It's um, it's um, uh, helping kids um, try something that's hard, um, push themselves a little bit, and and that is uh, uh, based on self control too. Mm-hmm. Uh, setting goals and achieving them. It's really important. And then I would. As a parent, uh, find something that my my child is interested in. Every child is interested in something. Uh, and and but then, we totally beat it out of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, and then start letting them start letting them. Um, yeah, it's self direct and learn on that. Well, man, exactly. we appreciate it. We it really. I think it's. I think it's so important for all of us. Ellen, thank you so much. Again, the websites that uh, we could be going to. There are so many. Let's see. Go to mindinthemaking dot org. Yeah, to that's find the main one. that that is the main one. And from there, you can eventually get to joinvroom dot org. Great tools, great resources, and again, uh, much of it from the Bezos Family Foundation, one of their partners. Um, helping us all be healthier, happier people. We appreciate the time with Ellen. We're going to take a break, come back, uh, wrap up this second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, friends, helping you see the good in the world. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, managing your kids and um, and being there for them, it's hard, right? Time, skills, the ability to do it. It's, it's not an easy thing. And me, I think many of us, honestly, we just, we just aren't experienced enough. You know, I think we, should, we feel like we should naturally just know how to do this. But how do you know if you've never done it? I honestly can't believe that it happens that way, that, that I should just be raised by my parents and then automatically I should know how to do it. Most of us don't take the classes in it. Most of us aren't, uh, you know, PhDs that have studied human development. And even those that have, we don't have a clue. Because it's one thing to know it. It's another thing to do it. So just test yourself, push yourself a little bit as a parent and start learning. And what I'm finding for my daughter, for example, and my granddaughter is she doesn't have – my daughter doesn't have all the skills – but when I find a new one, by golly, I'm going to get it for her. I'm going to, I'm going to be sending her to joinvroom.org. And uh, when it works, um, when work works, just all of these different websites that we've been receiving throughout uh, our last guest um, segment so that I can make sure I'm on top of it for my life, for my game. It's hard. But you know what? Everything's hard and worth it. So we'll get to that uh, you know, as a parent, day in, day out, it doesn't go away. It's not going away. Here's the story we got to tell you about. False reports to 911. Now, who on earth would uh, call in a false report to 911? Well, we've got video of it. It's the fire department. The, the volunteers, four of them, from Logan Township, Pennsylvania, are facing charges now after police say that they called to report fake emergencies. And they called to report fake emergencies because they wanted to get on the fire truck. <laughs> they just love riding. Hey, there, there's the video. In fact, it also looks a lot like that Geico pig. That is one happy firefighter. So these guys wanted to get on the truck. They were so excited about it. As a volunteer, you just, you know, you get called when you get called. But uh, apparently on January 10th, uh, one of them used a phone to call 911 and report wires on fire on Veteran Memorial Highway. And uh, six first responders showed up to that one. On January 16th, the men called 911 and re- and uh, reported sparks from a chimney. Twenty first responders responded to that one. That's a good one because that's a house fire. You're going to want to be to that one. On March 4th, the report of a mudslide. Only three first responders showed up to that one. That's kind of boring. It's just mud. Another false report on January 23rd that the cars had slid off the road. And finally, on March 15th, all men were leaving firefighter training, and they called to report a bank was on fire. Almost 60 first responders showed up to that fire to fight it, and that fire actually wasn't even there. So all four of these men have been suspended for six months with no membership privileges pending an outcome of the investigation. Faking fires just to get on the fire truck. Now, as a guy, I've been an EMT, not to brag. It's the greatest part of the day is to go lights and sirens somewhere. It's pretty fun. And nothing better than when you get there and they have to cancel the call because nothing's going on. So be honest. Have you ever called a fake? Never never called never uh, called a fake, a fake fire. Well, or, I mean, not for that. Or emergency? No. Just, just to get on the? No. No. Because I would get 10 calls a day. 
12 calls a day. But every once in a while, about maybe one in three or four, you get canceled because I was on an ambulance. So the ambulance doesn't always need to go. But we, they'd always start sending us just in case, right? But when they would cancel us, woo, sweet. We got to go lights and siren. Tons of fun. Now, every firefighter acts like it's not a big deal. But they love it. They love it. I mean, every cop, I don't care. I mean, it's scary, right? Because they're going fast. But there are rules. You're not allowed to run lights. And you got to, I mean, you, you, you have to stop. And then you can go through a light. But I've never been closer to death than in an ambulance. Because people out there are crazy. And I wasn't even in the back of the ambulance. I was close to death in the front of the ambulance. Scary. Anyway, this is the audio of those firefighters running away or uh, running to a fire that they called in. They they have so much fun on that fire truck. That's fantastic. Anyway, don't do that. Don't do that. Instead, just just relax. Let the fires come to you. That's crazy advice. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Stick with us, helping you see the good in the world. You're listening to the best of the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Just bring the honesty and the integrity to the game. Your guide on the side. If we're not wholeheartedly in our relationship, then we probably are always looking for exit strategies. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. This morning we're talking about failure. Have you ever been there? Have you ever just blown it? Like majorly just blown it. Ah, oh, the embarrassment, the shame, just the the blow to your game and to your mindset. But the reality of failure, uh, it's everywhere. We all experience it, and uh, to some degree, you need to experience it if you want to be able to progress and to move on in life. Um, one of the reasons why we bring it up is because uh, we seem to be raising a generation of people that, that think that, you know, we ought not let our kids fail too much. The The problem with that is that's not natural. You're supposed to fail. In fact, quite honestly, you better fail, right? Because failure would mean change. Failure means growth. Failure means it's time to figure something out. Wouldn't you need to have failure to actually know what success is? How many times have you seen uh, one of your children maybe had a really great team, an incredible baseball team or whatever, and they just kept winning and winning and winning and winning and winning. And then, you know, they get to a tournament and they get killed. And (laughs) these kids are not used to failure. But failure happens every single day. Uh, Think about the first time you played a sport and it was your chance to win the game on the free throw line. Did that ever happen? Ben, for example, in his dating life, Nothing but failure, right, Ben? Oh, you have no idea. No idea right, no idea wrong. So, yeah, my dating life's horrible. Really? You know, let's talk about it just for a minute. What? <sighs> yeah, right? You're breathing through your mouth again. Oh, sorry. So a little failure. I mean, you're not failing dramatically, right? It's just a little failure. Three restraining orders. Solely okay, yeah, that's failure. That's, boy. 
Really? I'm just trying to be nice, you know. Is the th- are the is that three different people? Um, or is that one person? No, you know, it's three been, different. It's orders? been renewed. Okay, so wow. One of them's been renewed one time, and then there's a separate one. Yeah, a second yeah. one. Huh. We got a. Yeah, that's weird. Maybe you're pushing too hard. Seems like really? you're pushing too hard. I, I just thought like confidence was supposed to. <laughs> Is that what you do? You act confident, so confident yeah. that you scare them? I guess so. Yeah. Like, See, again, that's a perfect example, Ben. That's why we need failure. You know, the failure to be able to, you know, get a date should teach us something. And there are steps that we need, we should take to help us get through this. There are actual steps that we should learn to make sure that we're not – you know, always just failing. Four Keys to Learning from Failure by Dr. Guy Winch, who's been on the program two or three times. He uh, He's a blogger on Psychology Today and um, also uh, has this post that made it to Huffington Post, which is four keys to learning from your failure. Now, Ben, I want you to listen up because yes. we're going to use your dating examples as we go through this um, and also just, you know, the – the police interventions, the tasing, the stuff like that as as a tool to help us through this. Uh, first key that Dr. Winch teaches us in his article, because failure is inherent, right? But there's usually going to be a breakdown that would cause a failure in in a few areas. So the first area is your planning, right? So if you haven't – if you don't plan, if you don't prepare to plan – no, if you fail to prepare, then prepare to fail. That's the axiom. But I, I do plan. Okay. So obviously, let's evaluate your planning. So for these dates that you – like you keep coming in and saying, I, I went, I had another date and she didn't show. Had another date and she didn't show. Had another date and she didn't show. So you must not be planning very well. Well, I tell her specifically, drive yourself – to Moab, and I will meet you there. Moab, which is hundreds and hundreds of miles away. Yeah, but like she, she okay. could probably find her way. Well, yeah, but did you even? Does she even know you at this point? Um, I mean, we sat next to each other a couple times in class. Okay, yeah. See, you you have to evaluate your planning because it's a you have to actually know the woman before she'll go to Moab with you. Okay. B. You usually don't like set up a date that's hundreds of miles away unless you really know each other. And so it usually would be better to pick her up, say, hey, let's drive together. Got a bunch of friends that will be down there. We can hang out. There will okay. be a place for the ladies and a place for the gentlemen. What, what happens if you don't have a lot of friends that are going to be there? Then we probably ought not be going to Moab with a lady. See, that's where you're losing it. So if we reevaluate your planning, then – any breakdown, you know, so for the team that didn't win the championship and they were all a little messed up because, boy, that defense that they faced in the championship game blew them away, then we probably didn't plan very well to have our kids ready for any defense. Right? Okay. So it's about a planning problem. So, And we, we are seeing that that's what's happening to your dating. There's just a failure to plan. So planning, I'm going to – Mark that there. Yeah, planning. We, you have to spend more time thinking about who this person is. She has to actually know you. You probably ought to be on three or four dates before you take her to Moab. 
Okay. So how how does she get to know me then? Okay, that would be that would be different. That would be your ex. That would be your um, your execution. So is that step number two? That would be three. Then oh. so so once you have to you have you reevaluate your planning. Did we plan ahead? Then your preparation. Like did you did you date her enough? Did you have your head wrapped around this strongly enough? Were you in the right place? Do you have the communication skills? Do you have the ability to carry a conversation with somebody longer than, you know, 10 minutes? Because if you're going to Moab, it's going to be a long time together. So failure is your inability to be prepared enough. Do you know who she is? Do you know what ladies like to talk about? Do you know what this lady specifically likes to talk about? Yeah. You so didn't I, prepare. I, well, I, I usually have like um, a, like a list of things I can talk about on the car, right? Well, I guess if we're taking separate cars, I would never be able to use those. Yeah. Okay. So. Well, and you don't even have a car. True. So. Preparation would say that that plan's not going to work. The minute you're like, okay, which car should I take? You don't have a car. So if I buy if I buy a car, I should be good on the preparation side. Right. What would happen if it started raining in Moab and you found out that there's going to be storms there all weekend? Do you have another plan? You need another. So you got to be prepared because what happens if you guys, you know, what happens if she does have you arrested? Can you post I'm, I'm bail? I'm very prepared on that front, though, on the arrested side. I, I know what to do for that. So what, what our good expert is teaching us is, Dr. Guy Winch, is that if you have a plan, then you got to make sure you're prepared to implement the plan, right? you got to be able to deliver on the goods. you got to be able to do what needs to be done. So, again, the basketball team. Do we do we have a do we have a plan our own game plan have I prepared my kids for what could be inevitably changes to the plan have we prepared them with other schemes have we prepared them you know are they in good enough shape are they mentally prepared do we have all that done the next tool he teaches is your execution so it's not enough to just have a really good plan and to have people prepared did they execute on what we said we were going to do and see, if you don't, after the date, go back and learn this, Ben, then you're just going to keep having the same dates over and over. Is yeah. that what you're noticing? Yeah. I, so I, I like plan out what I'm going to say and like how I'm going to ask her out. But a lot of times it turns into German. And so I start talking to Ger- – Okay. Ger- so no, that's huge. Maybe, yeah, your execution's off. Maybe that's why she doesn't come because I tell her mm-hmm. to meet me in Moab yeah. in German. Well, in fact, you got to watch out for that because – but you're probably not executing because when you get nervous, you probably go all German on her. That's that's probably true. Does that make sense? And I mean, it's like it's not a bad thing to be German on her. But no. like, if she, she's she German, no. But if yeah. she's not German, it's a okay. bad thing. So speak in English. I, I've planned in English. Mm-hmm. You've prepared. In, okay. Yeah, we were going to do this whole thing in English. Then the next thing you know, you went off all German on her. Nothing wrong with German. Fantastic thing, but you got to you got to do better. And then, last but not least, of course, after you've evaluated your execution of it, is uh, you got to figure out what of everything we talked about you can control. And you can control your German, you can control your prep, you can control how much you know her, you can control these things. And then focus on what you can change. Right? 
Focus on your variables that you can control. It's an easy plan. It's easy. Four Keys to Learning from Your Failure by Dr. Guy Winch. Stick with us. We'll uh, continue the journey, helping you live longer and love stronger, lead healthier lives. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, so what is in a name? You know, for new parents, the name means a whole lot of stress. You got to name your kid, right? And will they love their name or hate their name? Will their name, you know, be be held up and, and you know, motivate them to become something more? Is it the right name? Is there a right name? Is it the right fit? Should you pick your, your baby's name, uh, you know, a gender neutral name so they seem inclusive? There's a lot of uh, thought that goes into naming your baby. And here to talk about the surprising psychology behind naming our babies is uh, one of our contributors we love to have on the show, Dr. Susan Krauss-Whitborn. She is currently a professor of psychological and brain sciences at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, also is a um, a writer for Psychology Today. Uh, Susan Krauss-Whitborn, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you, Matt. It's nice to be back. Great to have you back. This naming of a baby is a big deal. I mean, we always make jokes about it, but I I mean, you don't – this goes on forever. This kid's going to carry this name forever. That's right, unless uh, the kid decides they've <laughs> they've had enough of it and uh, wants to switch, which uh, you know presents its own set of issues. Well, and, and so the fears we have as parents about the naming—I mean, it seems like some people think a lot more about it than others. Absolutely, uh, and for some, it's sort of automatic. It's been decided years ago that this would be the name and somebody's being honored by that name or it's just a favorite name of one of the parents. Um, And uh, hopefully they've given it enough thought so that it's a name that isn't going to make the poor kid's life miserable. (laughs) And you know what, as if everything else isn't going to be hard for the kid anyway, just growing up and being a, you know, a 14 year old boy or girl, um, the last thing you want is a name that'll get you beat up. Yeah, it's surprising, really, when you think about it, just why we place so much value on names. Yeah. Um, But also, parents tend to, whether consciously or not, um, give their child a name which will then have implications for the way they're regarded in terms of their gender. Um, Because uh, female names and male names, which is what I wrote the uh, blog about, um, actually differ in the way they're pronounced, which then has connotations for gender roles. So you're, you start to gender stereotype your child inadvertently um, by giving them a, a feminine or masculine name. Interesting. Yeah, like a guy named Ashley mm-hmm. or something like that. May, it, 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 no matter what happens, it's still there's still a culture you're dealing with, right? There's still context in which the name is being used that is going to become part of every, you know, every interaction. Yeah, I mean, it'd be nice if everybody used gender-neutral names, right? and then we wouldn't have this, what I would consider somewhat of a problem, um, just because you're kind of already being identified before you even do anything um, as masculine or feminine, and it's just because of the way that we um, associate different sounds with, you know, hard as male, soft as female. Hmm. 
Why don't we just go with numbers? If everyone just had a number. Oh, they do that in prison, I think. Yeah. We'd probably figure out a way to, uh, <laughs> to ruin make that. meaning out of that. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. What are some other issues that uh, parents run into that make this so difficult? Well, uh, aside from gender, which is what I focused the blog about, I mean, there is this um, factor of how unusual the name is and um, kind of what the connotations are. Um, and, you know, this is where it becomes such a challenge because you have no idea what this kid is going to be like and you're trying to find a name that's going to match. Now, if you want to hedge your bets, you give the child a good middle name as well as a good first name and then the child has an option. Um, I've always been bemused by people who go by their middle name. I just think it's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, what was wrong with their first <laughs> you know, initial? I mean, it sounds kind of distinguished in a way. Um, F. Scott Fitzgerald. You know? Right, right. Um, B. F. Skinner. That was not, Well, he just went by his two initials and then everybody called him Fred. So <laughs> it's instead of Burris. Yeah. His actual name. So, yeah, I mean, you want to really, you know, you come become paralyzed with indecision um, when you're picking a child's name. But um, you want to give it just some thought. How different do you want it to be from those of other children of the same uh, birth cohort? Um, how much do you want to honor somebody with the name? Um, and what are your own associations to that name? Hmm. How does it make you feel? It's it's funny. We named a child, one of our children, um, Britain, after uh, – it wasn't after, but we heard the name from a basketball player that was a yeah. local basketball player here. And now it's um, it's weird because we now – we kind of know this player as an adult and our children are all older and it's – but it's almost like our son is now associated with this pl- this person that he never knew. And it's, well, it's 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 great. I mean, it's it, he's a good person. It's a good association. It's yeah. just it it it's different than when we you know we we name we put middle names after our our parents, and mm-hmm. th- that's kind of a neat association too. So there is a way to 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 but to create meaning is really what we're doing, right? This is about meaning making. It is. It really is. And um, it it you know again we can become paralyzed by indecision yeah. about this, um, but. The more you think about it, really, the better it is, because you can explore all those associations. Um, like, I got a wrong number one time when I was pregnant with my first, my older daughter, and uh, it was a, a, someone named Stacia they were looking for, and hmm. I thought, oh, Stacy, that's a nice name. Yeah. And I don't know, it just popped into my head, and it was so random, but now, luckily, she likes that name. <laughs> it's stuck. It's stuck with you. It's stuck, and it actually fits her personality, you know, perfectly. Um, and it has the added benefit of being gender neutral. Yeah. <laughs> what, what about this? It's so interesting, too, that um, it seems like some parents are thinking about the child when they're doing this, mm-hmm. and some are thinking about themselves. Like, mm-hmm. they're just trying to, they're trying to differentiate themselves. So they might, they, they might want to name their, their child Stacy, but then they've got to decide how they're going to spell it. Yes, and right. is it going to be I E? Is it going to be E Y? Is it just going to be Y? And it's uh, there's there's a difference. It seems like between you know using the name Stacy and saying Stacy versus spelling it and then having mm-hmm. someone say it. It, mm-hmm. it. You know, it seems like you might not want to have a name. I don't know that 
every single time they call you up, they pronounce it wrong, and you have to have a you have to always start every interaction with a correction. Oh yeah, well you know not, that, not necessarily, but potentially. But that actually that's I, I kind of like that idea then that um, it be it sets you <laughs> apart. An explanation, yeah, um, and it does set you apart. Uh, but then there are parents who want to uh, promote a certain initial. Um, and actually, I did like the fact that her, the first initial was an S. <laughs> it's yeah. in my yeah. name. And it, then it also makes it easier when you think about handing things down. To your, oh, yeah. Or, on the other hand, they take stuff of yours because it starts with the same initial. <laughs> That's right. I, I really like that locket, Mom. It's got an S on it. <laughs> That's right. Can I take the towels, Mom? You're not going to need them. That's right. Um, That's they right. do have S's on them. Well, it, it's interesting. It, one of the things I, I uh, was fascinated about is this um, this idea that you get get into uh, phonemes. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes. Uh-huh. Talk about that with us. Uh, you've, you've started a bit, but but get in get into the phonemes. Okay. So first, you have to practice saying this and that, um, and, or thin. So you put your finger on your Adam's apple, and if you can feel a vibration, it means it's voiced. And if you can't, then it's unvoiced. So um, thin, thin. Is unvoiced. Yeah. I'm sorry, I said it wrong. And this is voiced. This. Okay. So some people in reading that blog said they couldn't tell the difference at all, but, um, <laughs> but, but that's one easy way. So then you look at the voiced phonemes and the names that start with the voiced phoneme are thought of as harder, which then has masculine implications because men are hard, women are soft. Sure. So it turns out that's how names are organized. Um, And so by following that rule, you're providing a gender stereotype for your child without thinking about it. So it's not, so a gender neutral name is best in a way, um, but apart from that, you might want to think about: Do you want to conform, or do you want to, um, you know, break out against um, the gender stereotypes that we we impose on people? Interesting. So, if you, and that's so subtle, right? So that's just mm-hmm. that's that's almost, I guess, that's the harshness, the hardness mm-hmm. of how the sound is is made around the name. Yeah, and even if they made up names that weren't actual names but gave them these characteristics, people tend to associate the hard ones with men and the soft ones with women. Give, give me some examples of some voiced names of females. Oh, okay. Um, uh-huh. um, it's a little curveball. <laughs> yes, you did. Um, I think I mentioned... Uh, Is Olga. Olga. Olga would be voiced. Yeah, that's voice. So that's so that's that that seems harsher. Uh huh. It does. Um, and uh, it's funny because the authors of the study were Michael, which is voiced, and Adam, which is voiced. So and they conform to their own stereotypes. Um, but uh, Timothy, Rachel, also doesn't follow that rule. Um, Timothy uh, does not. So you know you can look at exceptions all around but um the best way to tell is put your finger on your adam's apple <laughs> and see if it vibrates or not and if you don't have a good vibrating adam's apple find somebody who does and then if you're really desperate um you can just run through a bunch of baby names i think that's what i did when i was reading the study yeah i just started looking at names of babies and playing around with it and it was fascinating okay so so test test this because i'm not sure how my adam's apple is performing today ben is Ben is Ben a voice name or a 
Unvoiced. Unvoiced. So it's a, it's a softer name. Yep. How about Matt? Oh, Matt. Oh, you're so voiced, it's not even funny. <laughs> <laughs> you're so right, Susan. Yeah. <laughs> isn't that so, – it's, but it's such a subtle little idea, isn't it? And – but the research is showing that this – just the simple voicing of the name – or I mean the simple uh, kind of, I guess, tone, vibration that comes off tends to categorize it in our minds as, as strong or as softer. That's right. That's right. It's interesting. Um, and there's a whole other angle to it as well, which is um, another study has shown an imp- sort of implicit egotism, it's called, that you tend to drift towards occupations and even places to live – that uh, are kind of where your name resonates. Oh. So Dennis becomes a dentist. Yeah. Matt becomes a doormat. Oh. I get it. (laughs) No, I get it, Susan. Let's take a break, Susan. We'll come back and make more sense of the naming of our children. Susan Krauss-Whitborn is joining us and... uh, she really, she's, uh, she's a professor, she's, she's uh, an author, she's everywhere. She's authored over 160 refereed articles and book chapters and 16 books. We'll take a break more with Susan Krauss Whitborn when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Friends of the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are talking about uh, your children and naming children. Uh, it really is a very stressful moment for parents to figure out what name you are going to hang on your child for their lifetime. And again, they can change their names if they want to, or you know, uh, some just make up their own names. We have a son, this Briton I was talking about, cutest kid in the world, a high schooler, but all of his friends call him Bobo. So it almost didn't even matter that we stressed about what we were going to call him because now he's Bobo. All of the parents know him as Bobo. Someday when he runs for president, it will be President Bobo Townsend. <sighs> Bobo. I was pretty sure that was a clown or a monkey. But um, they may end up choosing their own name in the end. But joining us is uh, Dr. Susan Krauss Whitborn. Susan Krauss uh, Whitborn is currently a professor of psychological and brain sciences at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. She's the author of over 160 refereed articles and uh, uh, and book chapters and 16 books, many in multiple editions and translations. She um, also uh, her most popular or recent popular work is the Search for Fulfillment. That was released in 2010. It's uh, it's great to have you back with us, Susan Krauss Whitborn. Thanks again. Thanks, Matt. Uh, sorry, I interrupted you there earlier. <laughs> no, no, no. You're fine. But, but no, Bozo is the clown. I think. Oh, Bozo oh, is a clown. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Bobo. I don't know who Bobo is. I don't know. It's, it's my cute, son. Though. Yeah. It's cute. It's uh-huh. cute, and it's his. It's his name. You know. And what's cool though is about this. It does become our identity. Right. This is. It does. It really does. And it matters. Like they, they say that, you know, when somebody says your name psychologically, it creates a response in you that they know your name, that they're connected to you that way. Um, talk about what else we know when it comes to names and the parents. What does the naming mean about the parent? 
Well, you're projecting your kind of wishes and hopes and onto your child, uh, maybe a part of your own identity. As I said before, if you're uh, using similar initials or um, yeah, people, or you're the same name as yourself. That's what some people do. Yeah. I've been at reception at uh, family gatherings where almost everybody there is called Sue. <laughs> And then I'm Sue, so that actually, and I'm not even part of their family. It doesn't so. work. There's too many Sues. <laughs> there's Sue Senior, Sue Junior, there's Aunt Sue, there's the whole yeah. Sue. But everybody used that name. So, I mean, that's where people project their own identities onto their child quite li- literally. Not that there's anything wrong with it. Right. It's just interesting. It, it, it's always, um, I, I couldn't do it. I named my second, my first son, my second child, we named um, Jacob Matthew after me. But I, I had a hard time wanting to put his name so that we'd, I, I don't know. I didn't want to project me onto him either. I thought that would, that might ruin him. Well, the inserting it in the middle, though, you know, it wasn't, you know. So he can idea. use it, you know, he can drop it if he needs to. That's right. But he probably won't want to. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that's a great thing is about family traditions. Uh, not only does it simplify life <laughs> yeah. a lot um, because you decided, although it may be the name of one parent's parent and not the other. So what do you do about that? Right. And one parent is being continued on and not the other. So, so that's then true. that's why some people will opt for a completely different name or one that may be a slightly reminiscent. Or then there's the last name. We haven't even talked about that. Yeah. And what goes with the last name? So um, I don't think there's any research at all on this, but I am quite fascinated by initials and the initials that your name will huh. form. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my, again, I, I've, I think I've picked a bad uh, – my initials are MT. Yeah. Which okay. doesn't that just mean empty? Oh, but what's your middle name? M M T. Oh, see, that's strong. Mm. <laughs> mm. Uh, you know, it's it, people who have last names that begin with a vowel. Um, it, it's you know, it's it's kind of interesting because there's so many words, three-letter words you can form that end in a vowel. So I actually think it's just as important for parents to put initials together and see what that does. Hmm. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. Uh, I agree because I one of my children uh, is named Sarah, and she goes by Sarah Townsend Davies, and her so her initials are STD. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that went that went totally sideways. <laughs> that was, but again, you don't think that through. She could drop the T. She could, uh-huh. she, and so she only uses it on special occasions. Yeah, but. It's. I guess that's a that's an interesting thing. And there was an article. I don't know if you saw the article that came out that um, they might start. Many people are thinking of hyphenating their name with their wife, so yeah. that so and even the men are going to hyphenate their name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and share this last way. name. Yeah, um, I mean that you, people. I thought it, the trend was reversing. Um, there was that trend, then there wasn't that trend. Maybe it's coming back now mm-hmm. uh, with the couple hyphenating their name. And, you know, then the question becomes what happens when that person gets married and then you've got 16 names yeah. for yourself. Yeah. For the genealogists in the world, we're really complicating their lives. We might yeah. actually be making them easier. I think easier. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's true, huh? Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's a – and then – but people can play around with all sorts of options, which is what's kind of nice um, about the way things are now is that 
we do seem to be more conscious of the psychological meaning of a name and the symbolic value of taking on your partner's name or not or or the hyphenating etc yeah i mean so it it that's where um we're opening up some options which i think can help people feel better what what do you think um just i'm sure in all of your studies you've seen something these the couples that divorce and uh, the mother, I, I've always found it really almost noble that uh, a mother that that has divorced her husband but still has her children, and those the children carry the husband's name, and the mother keeps that name. Mm-hmm. And there's talk just about it psychologically because this name it makes us it, it almost is a membership to our group, right? It's a it's an identifier, it's a label, and. It seems like, you know, it's good for children to have to to be able to feel proud of their name, their first and their last name and have it. Mm-hmm. It's it's part of their identity. Yeah, it is. And I mean, that is I, but it's hard to take change a child's last name, though, too, after, yeah. in that example. Right. Um, so, it, I mean, it, it probably reflects, though, some feelings of friendship that parents have towards each other, even though they're not together anymore. Yeah, respect, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, which is ultimately probably good for the child. I'm, you know, I'm going to not take your name away. Right. We're going to keep that because there still is that bond. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting thing because you wouldn't think names would play such a big deal, but they obviously do because we're so stressed when we have to name someone. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's a good sign, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> I mean, I mean, and then there's some that just say, "Hey, you're you're pumpkin bread," and we make up some name. Um, <laughs> yeah. A lot of the stars lately have just been naming yeah. their kids, you know, Apple or whatever. Blue Ivy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I that I well, I mean, it, that's probably the least of their issues that their kids are going to be dealing with. That's true. Yeah, and notoriety and the fame and. Yes, it makes it very tough. Oh, wow. Well, Susan, we appreciate you. Keep up the great work. Keep writing on psychology today as well. Will do. Great talking to you. We'll have you back. Thank you. Take care. Uh, Dr. Susan Krauss Whitborn, again, uh, you can find more information at uh, Psychology Today and many of her many articles there. Uh, Just a wonderful resource to all of us. We appreciate her. We're going to take a break, come back, wrap up this second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be doing a little Coach's Corner in just a few minutes. Stick with us, doing what we can to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. We'll be right back. Coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball! Welcome back, folks. Hey, uh, earlier we were talking about how simply the tone that of how your name um, is, is pronounced, like uh, the phonemes they were calling it, how it comes off the tongue may come off with a, a harshness of tone, or maybe a softness of tone, which which then sends a signal to another person, the listener, that you've got a masculine name, or maybe a more a softer name, like Ben. So, you know, it's it's just tone, and it's something we don't always pay attention to, but in my world of working with couples and communication and people, tone 
is telling, right? Tone matters. And so I wanted to spend a little time in the coach's corner talking about our tone. And um, it's it really is, I think, a really powerful indicator of of what somebody is actually feeling, of their emotion. Emotion is best managed and understood probably through somebody's uh, tone, more through their tone than their words. So pay attention to the tone, right? Tone, remember, is communication. When somebody says, and you can tell they're down, they're depressed, they're in the sitting on the couch, their arms are folded, they look sad, and you say, are you okay? And they're like, fine. Do you hear the tone? That means they're okay, right? <laughs> yeah, Ben, they're fine. Yeah, because sometimes, like... Kaylee yeah. and I will talk like that, and she'll say that. But she's really sad. That's but why she I, says she's okay, so I assume she's okay. Yeah, because she said, I'm okay, but her tone was like, yeah, I'm fine. Could you hear that? It's I subtle. hear, I'm fine. Okay, how about this? Yeah, I'm fine. Do you hear that? She's almost singing. Okay. Yeah, some people, some people are tone deaf. Some people can't hear it. And I appreciate Ben being honest with us today because tone, it's, it's communication, right? Tone tells the deeper story. Tone is our friend, not our foe. When somebody, oh, don't you give me that tone. Rapping. Yeah, Ben, just sit this one out because that, you might be missing the point. Uh, it's not, but, you know, tone. Some people just don't hear it, but tone does communicate uh, distress and levels of stress. So here are some keys. I'm going to give you five keys to recognizing and and either taming your tone when you need to tame it down or recognizing another person's tone, okay? Five basic keys. Pay attention to them. Ben, take notes because you are going to need to take notes on this one. Okay. Okay. You, you, ben, don't take notes. Don't take notes. Yes, sir. Just listen with your mouth shut. Just listen. Number one, tone is um, tone is not personal. Okay. Tone is not. It's not. They're not trying to beat you up. It's not a personal thing. Tone is just. A vibration that's coming from the emotion. It's the it's the real issue. So here are the tools. First, you got to read the signs of distress. Read the tones. If you hear volume getting louder, if you hear the pitch getting higher, or if you notice the pace of the conversation going faster, you got to see those signs. When you see those signs, it's telling you, pay attention to this one. <laughs> This one's a little more erratic. If they're saying things, but they're not saying, but their emotion is showing energy, but they're not communicating using words that show they're mad. For example, just listen to how often we can change the same sentence. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Same sentence, four different meanings. I didn't say that. Okay, so it wasn't you. You did not say that. I didn't say that. You really didn't say what I'm accusing you of saying. 
I didn't say that. Okay, you didn't speak it. Oh, you wrote it? Okay, you wrote it down on the board? Is that what you did? You didn't say it. You wrote it? I didn't say that. Okay, so you did write it. You just didn't write what I'm saying you wrote. And the only way we can make sense of those same four words, I didn't say that, is by changing our tone and our inflection, right? So we're using this all of the time. But if you hear the volume getting louder, that should tell you something. If you notice the pitch is getting higher, that should tell you something. If you notice it's speeding up, pay attention to it. Then be careful and soften your heart. You cannot not communicate, right? So if I react to your negative tone and I get into my negative tone, then your tone is going to bounce off of me and I'm just going to attack you. Instead, I need to absorb what you're bringing on, your tone. And I don't need to absorb it so I'm destroyed and I can't feel anything. I absorb it so I can better understand you. I want you to share with me so I can better understand you. So I have to soften my heart and allow you to allow this information into me. And instead of just taking the negative interpretation and going with it, I need to I need to not just run with it. I need to get myself centered, focus on what I'm trying to do with you. I'm trying to be an influence, I'm trying to help you. And if you can, alter the mood or alter the mode with how I'm going to handle this and how I'm going to adjust the mood. So if I, if I can and they're mad at me and I can see I'm not mad, just tired. Okay, I'm sorry. And I might even at times give them some space. But if I come back in the room five minutes later and they seem happier, then I'm going to point out you seem happier. Sometimes it's better to just quit talking and maybe find a different mode of communicating, like a letter, a text. And then change what you can in the conversation and realize there's certain things you can't change. But I don't have to get louder because you are. I don't have to get, you know, higher screaming because you are. I don't have to run because you do. Just change the tone, the tempo, the timing. Basic stuff. But hard, isn't it? We'll take a break. Be back next hour. More fun. Stick with us.